Hello. Hello, Heron. So before we begin this evening, <clears throat> Skype told me that yesterday was your birthday. So belated happy birthday. <laughs> yes, it was. That's right. 68. Very good. Yeah, so far. <laughs> I, I'm always wondering if listeners will turn off from our usual 20 to 30 minute technical discussion at the start of the podcast. We've just taken that off show this evening, folks. So we've just turned turn the recorders off and had a little off show technical discussion. But one thing you did raise towards the end of the technical discussion that wasn't being recorded was that you are realigning your sabbatical this year. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Heron? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I, I mean, I didn't know until three quarters of the way through the first year that this actually wasn't going to be enough. <laughs> you know, but I feel like the first year was really good for me. You know, it. it uh, it allowed me to gain some clarity. In fact, what it allowed me to understand is that I'm now clear that I'm not clear about some things that I need to be clear about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I need to articulate certain positions, not because I believe them so much as, but that they're good articulable, <laughs> articulatable. I don't yes, know. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. Um, or not, you know. So, uh, I, I, but a lot of things have gotten clear since last year. Mm. It, it, mainly that I need to get some more clarity, or I need to define some some things much more clearly than they have been defined. I'm quite comfortable with leaving them undefined for my own purposes, but uh, to try and explain things to other people, uh, they just are a lot more comfortable if they sort of have some sense that they that I know what I'm talking about. Yes, I mean, certainly through our discussions over the past year, it's, I mean, in, just in general conversation, you've identified the basics because you're very familiar with them. Obviously, a majority of your conversations, particularly the recorded ones, are with complete, like, novices who are coming to this without even the, you know, original concepts in mind associated with the stuff that you talk about. Yeah, well, that, those will be, yeah, that's yeah. important. <laughs> so so you've, got the, you've got the basics there. But outside that, even into the intermediate kind of questions, I think we've identified, in a recorded form at least, yeah. that, uh, you know, that there's a lot more that needs to be kind of fleshed out through this. Yeah. And, um, well, in any, in any case, I, I realize that in a sense, this year really is about sort of packaging, hmm. <laughs> in a sense, is putting it together into some sort of format that I can tolerate, uh, you know, that sort of simplifies it and chooses. I mean, really, one of my big problems is that when I start writing, I I lay down an idea and I can see 20 different ways to go (laughs) with that idea. And I get sort of stuck there, you know, because to me, it's all hypertext anyway. There isn't any one fact that follows and there's any number of facts or ideas that can follow any given idea and each one will take you off in a different valuable direction Mm. but if you're going to put together a package you have to actually pick one Mm. (laughs) you know and i've just resisted that for years because like i say i'm quite comfortable with the multi-ordinality of the whole thing you know i don't feel a need to have a simple explanation for it all but apparently most people do well it helps yeah, it does. I think it does. I think, yeah. and that's sort of what I, over the past year, have sort of come to the realization that as much as I hate that, I'm going to have to sort of bite the bullet to coin a new phrase and, um, you know, and do it. <laughs> so, um, but that's not what we were talking. That did, actually didn't answer the question you asked. 
I think. Well, you were talking about my sabbatical. Um, no, I think um, I think it did yeah. actually. I mean, it answered the question from my perspective. It certainly okay. you you identified what you need to do, and you identified the change that you need to make in terms of like identifying things in a kind yeah. of slightly more rigorous sense. So yeah. I think that answered it. I'm yeah. feeling comfortable. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not because uh, like yeah, it, it's it really is. That's the issue I'm faced with actually. Mm. And um, and I'm uncomfortable with it, <laughs> but but there you have it. <laughs> no, I think discomfort is really good. I think it's a strong. Oh, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, so, it's not a yeah. bad thing at all. Yeah. Yes, yes. Do you have any any topics you want to discuss for the recorded portion of the podcast? <laughs> uh, no, I guess not. So we have a wide variety of listener-related topics, and I have a few topics myself. I wanted to start by saying that I was looking forward to a conversation with Lorraine over the break. But unfortunately, she's had some family bereavement. So I scurried quickly and contacted... Actually, I can't remember whether Marty contacted me or I contacted Marty. And I had roughly an hour-long conversation with Marty that's now memorialised in the Stonate feed and also on YouTube. The feed is a slightly better way, slightly more succinct way uh, to get the information. But that was very interesting to me because it made me realise that... And I found this with other folk. I found this with Tracy Portillo as well that you and I work very well together because we have a kind of balance in our, like, general interruptiveness <laughs> And when I don't have the ability of having someone who is kind of cognitively active and actively interrupting, I think I have the ability to kind of do a wavering monologue, which I was a bit concerned about listening back to yeah. the, the Marty audio. But also Marty, unfortunately really is at a stage in his life where he is basically starting to question some of the fabric. I mean, he's... Is he a listener to the Stone yes, Age? Yes, no, oh, good, yes. Marty. Congratulations. <laughs> I know it's not fun. It may feel awful, but it is definitely a step forward. Yes. One of the first things you become aware of when you start becoming aware is just how unaware you are. And that feels bad. So, but, it, but it's a great insight. Yes. So unfortunately, Marty gave me a series of softballs, basically, which I took him in a variety of different directions on. And I think he was certainly feeling whiplash through certain sections. And it made me very mindful, actually, listening back to it, that, uh, yeah, finding the right pace is really a critical thing, which is, I guess, part of your narrative as well. Well, it's different with every person. Again, that's yeah. the thing. is that's why, that's why I think a lot of my one-on-ones work is because... At, at times, I can actually listen. <laughs> you know, I know you may find that hard to believe, but but when I'm talking with a newbie who doesn't know anything, uh, it's it's pretty easy for me to listen. I guess the point that I wanted to make back to Marty, which I guess he was receptive to at least initially, who knows what he took away from it, was that the fact that the dominant narratives and the dominant narratives that he was using were really, really brittle. And the only way that these narratives have been seen as being accepted is really because very few people have have done the discipline of actually, you know, investigating the points raised or, more importantly, providing a sharp critique to actually identify how, you know, how completely paper thin the whole thing is. One interesting thing through the discussion... Well, I'm not sure how, how paper thin what is. Well, the, the dominant narrative that is... That you know, he sold has. To I mean, his yes. story. Well, not necessarily. His, but the story that he's looked for in others. You know, this whole... Finding the others oftentimes can be accidentally seem as finding the same, whereas oftentimes it should really be finding those that challenge you. 
And I think that's an interesting phenomenon that a lot of the narrative that people are given, particularly in this country, are associated with comfort. It's not associated with reason or it's not associated no, with yeah. discourse. No, but those are just language mugs. There's no point even talking to them. That's, Who well, cares? Well, well, this is interesting because I think you can actually, through various almost sophist you know, dialogue, you can work your way through some of these oh, things. And yeah, that's certainly can, what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah you can do that. You, yeah. can, you can definitely, but that's very time consuming. And uh, yeah, you're right. You can, you can deal with it. Well, but if he's asking the question, if he's seriously beginning to question reality, that's where you focus. Mm-hmm. That's the important. That's the part we're trying to encourage. Yes. <laughs> so, the, yeah. For me, anyway, Marty, let's talk sometime. <laughs> I'll straighten you out. <laughs> we'll go tag team, Harry. <laughs> that's right. Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely the bad cop, Harry. So you need to resolve to be the good cop role in the circumstances. Well, for this time, you know. Well, no. See, actually, I won't. What I will do is actually listen to Marty. And and see just how fucked up his language machine is, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yes, yes. One of the things that I, I floated with him, which is really my project for this year, is to take this idea of reinvigorating people's sense of uh, ownership and interaction associated with the dis- a series of discussions which are fundamentally disempowering the way that they are currently presented. And specifically, this relates to the idea that individuals should interact with the topics of the day. Basically, it's a not necessarily an outsourcing of the political system. It's a complete deconstruction of the contemporary political system. And the method that I've described up until now is a means where individuals, through things like something like Facebook, have the ability to actually say yay, nay, something different on a variety of topics that come through. But in a kind of mass surveying, this can be used into kind of compare and contrast with what the dominant narrative that, you know, the news services or the politicians are feeding. My sense is we don't really need governments at all. But how do you deconstruct that? What steps will break this? Ah, well, that's, yeah, that's the challenge is how do we do this? Here's a prescription because I was thinking very critically about this. It's wonderful to say individuals should go and, you know, vote on these things. But I thought... No, no, they shouldn't go and vote. They should be involved. They should get involved with it. But you're looking at a means of actually degrading or some means of degrading in order to you know enact yeah well again you're talking about in the interim in in and mm-hmm. i'm seeing how it would work when it's done certainly so you know, let's when talk it's about done the, we don't have yeah. to work let's you move know. you out yeah. of your comfort zone here and then let's talk a little right. bit about yeah. the interim yeah so my thought well was, facebook is a good start certainly <laughs> my thought was that because the the political system is so heavily associated with candidates and to date we've had folks like assange and various other groups run candidates But what hasn't been behind the candidates is that the candidate will represent exactly the views of those who interact through this system. So the candidate basically becomes a proxy Ah. for all the individuals that are enacting with the system. Okay. The, the that's computer an system idea. that's created. So this did thing, the Green Party do anything? No, like no. That? You see, no political party's actually done this as yet. Yeah. But the interesting so we'd thing be is, taking statistics on uh, the members mm-hmm. of okay, mm-hmm. and if it's fifty-one forty-nine, 
Well, that, that's interesting. There are a series of those kind of problems. What happens if it's 33, 33, 33? What happens if it's 25, 25, yeah, right, 25, yeah, 25? Right. So all, yeah, all the that stuff. Notion, has, yeah. yeah, the whole notion that the, the two, what appears well, depends to be... Depends on the question you're asking. Exactly. Obviously. The two, <laughs> the, in, you know, the notion of the two major parties, which really don't disagree on so many different points. I mean, it becomes very interesting, but I think that's part of the game. That has well, if to be we part def- of the process. You know, and if we define the party carefully, so I mean, we're not going to get everybody in it. We're going to offend a whole bunch of people. Well, that's the interesting so, thing. So, so that the people who do come in mm. are going to have some some cohesiveness. Potentially so, but I think actually through through... It doesn't always have to be cohesive. All it needs to be is distinctly different from what is being represented in the political sphere. Well, anything, yeah. It needs to be cohesive. What it is is fundamentally a way of deconstructing. So, for example... So you don't care whether it's effective politically or not. I think in the long term, what it's it's a mode for deconstruction and re, and and re. I see it creation. as building a, building a community. Potentially so. That's that's what it. Let's what talk I about this process. Okay. So, unfortunately, unless you know, unless it's a, a violent or in some way. And, and, like, and excuse me, is this something for the United States, or yes, is this a global? But it's international. Party it's global. So the is it a global, global party or a U.S. party? It's a global party. Well, okay, the it's a global party global. with a su- United States su- uh, <laughs> subdivision. Well, no, it only comes through the software. So the software is adopted. Yeah. And what the software does is it enables individuals in particular okay. areas Just to interact. individuals. Okay. So it's, it's citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there it gets interesting because the whole definition uh-huh. of citizens could be affected. Yeah, because there's no reason not to have a global citizen exactly. thing exactly. in addition yeah. to U.S. Yeah. or Britain or anything else. This is where it gets yes. very interesting. Oh, let's interesting. I like let's this. Through this. Yes. Initially, what would happen is that these people would – well, there would be candidates because, unfortunately, the current system runs on candidates. And at what level? I mean, like city level? Or potentially or at all level? levels. Potentially okay. at all levels based on the software. And okay. these candidates run, and obviously they only win in certain places. Maybe they only win for a very small number of places. But well, – Like here in Garden Grove. You know, exactly. Let's, let's yeah. focus on the city yeah. council here. Exactly. No, no, this is where yeah. it gets really, That's very interesting. That's where it should start, actually. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So through this interaction, it starts out in a kind of minority situation. And obviously, the major parties play. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep interrupting here. Uh, does this party have an axe to grind? I mean, a point of view? Or is it the point simply a, a mouthpiece? Here's the point of view. The current political system does not represent the people. No, it represents corporate interests. Exactly. For the most part. Yeah. Exactly. So what you have is this fascinating uh, okay. thing where... where even where the system isn't, even where the elected members aren't, you still protect, you still get statistics and you see where the actual elected folks in those areas are voting. So you have a population yeah. doing one thing, you have an elected person doing something completely different, and this yeah. creates its own political critique, ah, okay. which right. is then I useful yeah. to kind of cyclically move through. So actually, this could have no point of view at all. Exactly. In fact, is... is that would be better, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because what it does is it represents, it represents yeah. how completely disconnected this political thing is from the actual will of the people at any given instance. That's right. So we could have forced clitorectomies, uh, you know, in uh, in the south, in Saudi Arabia or someplace, you know, and they just get together the people who don't who want to see that reinstated, and and we're okay with that because 
Well, it's not us anyway. It's just this mouthpiece thing. Certainly. Created. You know, the, I mean, the interesting, wherever thing, it is, yeah. the interesting thing is where it comes close to being a majority. Because when it becomes close to being a majority, then it's almost at the point... I, my view is the major political parties, particularly in this country, but also <laughs> pretty well internationally... And it's gonna, you're going to call it the People's Party. I think, actually, <laughs> I think it's interesting because I'm willing to... Um, outsource the name of it in fact really it could be called anything it doesn't really matter what it's called in the short term what it's called will affect the way it the makes a difference in the beginning yeah. it'll hopefully yeah. it'll get its own name yeah. it'll it'll exactly. develop a name exactly that, that, that's my yeah. thought it'll yeah. do it yeah. organically but now i thought about this because it's it's one thing to describe this as a process it's another thing to show how it could be enacted relatively yeah. simply yeah that yeah, I think it's um, and it, and it doesn't require a whole lot of resources. No, uh, I mean this is basically a website, right? It has to be open source as well. It has yeah. to be open source, so it can't be gamed, but also so it can be you know it can be scrutinized and uh, yeah. refined, yeah. basically. Well, as long as there's somebody who knows how to do that, yeah. you know. Uh, and, and so what what's involved here? A website. A Facebook page? A series of websites, actually. <laughs> it doesn't have to be one website. It could be a series of decentralized websites. There are a wide variety of ways that this thing well, I think, be well, my, my first opinion is there should be one website, and, and it should encompass the whole world. The problem of the one website phenomena is it makes it very easy to target. Now, these, these political enterprises are very, very shrewd, and, you know, what you, what you may recall in Watergate exists currently in terms of cyber attacks and the recruitment of hackers to work for the various political interests as well i i really you think that's a serious and you would see what if if we became i mean of course that assuming it gets on their radar is Mm. something to watch out for Mm. no I, i anticipate that you should assume a degree of both you know digital but also potentially physical hostility the, well, that's well, you're yeah, talking you're about right. people's that's livelihoods it. here. Yeah, I know, but made that's a small that's, fortune well, through. Listen, that's yeah. part of the game. When you want to yeah. talk about the interim, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why I don't like talking about the interim <laughs> because it's messy. Yes, you know, and, and you're right. You you if you're going to be effective, somebody's going to get pissed off. Yeah, and people get killed. Yes, you know that's just. But that's the game we're playing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think there's any way around that. I think. You know, I think trying to sidestep it or trying to be careful just won't change the game. No, I mean it might ease the threat a little bit, but uh, I, I think I think we just have to be bold. But it's easy for us old guys to say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've still got a few years, but I'm feeling older and older as I as I get there. Yeah, so. I think. Uh, yeah, I th- yeah. Well, so the physical violence is is. I guess I just came to terms with that a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I don't think about it much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at some point, uh, I, I sort of just said, okay, well, if so be it. Mm. <laughs> you know? But now I'm very interested actually in outsourcing this idea. I, as an individual, couldn't contribute all the components here. I could contribute some. I mean, no, this takes some. Yeah, no, this is going to take a team of people. Exactly. How many people do you think it would take? I think you could start with probably half a dozen people, most of whom were very... By skill sets. Yes. Saying, there, there are certain yeah. skills yeah. that we need. Certainly. And you know what those are. I could identify I mean, you could them. manage this project? 
Um, yeah, I'm relatively confident along those lines. I just need to find the right people. So yeah. I yeah. thought about right, well, this actually. Yeah, no, but you say I just need to find. That's the whole game. Without question, initially. You know, yeah. that's the issue is if you find the right people to begin with, mm. you, you can't lose. Finding them yeah. is not easy. So I sometimes came to this it idea. doesn't exist. Yes. This is a familiar <laughs> narrative on Stonet. I came to this idea late one evening and I decided that the only way that this idea could work was if I put it out there, as I'm doing currently, but also if I gave myself a relatively long time frame. Things yeah, are currently... 20 years is, con- is fine. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> 5 to 10 years. But I what think a, yeah. w- within that time frame, and with the view that I have a number of hot boiling projects currently yeah. and heavy simmering projects... No, you've, so, just, you've defined a huge project here yes. that could be a change of history, a history changer. Yes. Five years, ten years. Yeah. So what? Anyway, I wanted to put the idea out yeah. there. I'm going to start I love it. workshopping this through uh, The Reason Will Amaze You. And I'm going to use The Reason Will Amaze You channel just as a means of putting you know, out three I... to five minute videos associated yeah. with this idea. See, my first thought is I wouldn't talk much about this until it's far more clear what it's, what it's going to be. Well, you need to recruit, and oftentimes it's very difficult to recruit if you don't Do you talk need to about recruit? something. Are we at the point, or are you at the point well, where you need to recruit? But in terms of these kind of projects, you have to say, look, I'm, I had the view with Noble 8. What can you do? What can I do? <laughs> yeah, I can, well, you say you can contribute some of it. What part do you can I, you, could, I mean, yeah. I can write the basic software to do it. That's not the issue. The issue is that there are people that need to have security and server knowledge and all these kind of components, which yeah, I have right, some. Yeah. I but, got you know, you, yeah. people that actually have that knowledge are considerably But you could than, start writing the software right now. Yep. You don't need them for that. No. Right? But I think the interesting thing is the software that I write will no doubt be completely and utterly rewritten within a few sure, iterations. Yeah, yeah, but yes, um, it could exist in a But you could still start. And part of the part of the interesting process is the is the subtle elements like, you know, regional vetting, what yeah. it means to actually exist in a region relative to, you know, an, an existing elected representative, yeah. all this kind of stuff which you need I, to work I love with. this idea of being mm. totally unphilosophical in this. It's just a tool. Yes. You know, that's all it is. Yeah. Don't come to me with your issues. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Here's the tool. Use it. Do what you want with it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you may not predict that the tool... Well, the interesting thing associated with that is that the tool... Well, that'll be the not, clitorectomy party. <laughs> the tool may not deliver exactly what you want, but the tool will certainly deal with the existing hierarchical problem well it'll it's a game changer yes you know in some way i mean that's in the same way that so-called democracy is yes you know when democracy is great unless they elect a bunch of goddamn fanatical moslems (laughs) you know then we go wait a minute (laughs) well i don't i mean my view yeah it's an interesting i mean here here we tend to disagree i think that's redundant to say fanatical moslem well, I mean, just like Christian, I mean, again, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists—I don't give a shit what religion they belong to. They're all fucking crazy. Yes. Excuse me, I shouldn't say things like that. Probably throw in the atheists <laughs> as well while we're there for good measure. Yeah, atheists. Yeah, throw them in there too, and Amway salesmen too. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I've had a, a couple of interesting experiences through the week. And both of them, to a certain extent, relate to my family in Australia, but more importantly, my mother. And they provide interesting mirrors, which have really chilled me in some regards. So we often joke about senility when we record. 
But um, when I was, when my mother left Australia when I was about 17, in fact, I was 17, I went and lived with a long-term friend of the family's, who at the time, to me anyway, and probably to a number of other folks, was clearly nuts. <laughs> she was from Cornwall. You mean, from, you mean senile or just she was always nuts? Uh, well, she was borderline senile when I knew her. In terms of when well, she, she was thirty, right? no, 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 no. When she was sixty was when okay. I knew her. All right, and I mean, I'm just curious whether she had, was perfectly sort of normal language monkey up until no, senility she's all, hit, she, or was she always a little off? She, she was always eccentric. I mean, for okay. example, all right. we would be driving somewhere, and she would say, "Reach into that gumboot behind the the seat," and I'd reach in, and there would be a stick of licorice in there, which she would then say, "You know, have some of that licorice." I just like, I and she would never pay me. I would do work for her around her house. I would mow her lawns and all this kind of well, stuff. She gave you licorice. <laughs> yes, gumboot licorice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankfully, uh, yeah, I ate the end that wasn't in the toe. I left the toe end of the licorice to uh, anyway. So she was always a little crazy. But the thing was that she had a she had a cold, nasty streak in her, which would always chill me as well. <laughs> oh yeah. So anyway, in, in I guess in my views then, I thought this woman is going to her later years are going to be very interesting. She was quite wealthy, which is how she maintained. Oh, that helped. Yeah. People away from her for a sufficient length of time but she went to have a couple of surgeries and through that process they x-rayed her brain maybe five years ago and from that point um they basically hospitalized her she's now in a forced lockup facility you know i've watched the sopranos and there's a narrative in the sopranos associated with the kind of senile uncle and his experience in the forced lockup facilities and i've certainly talked about with my wife's grandmother as well while she was still alive because she had clear early onset dementia, although the rest of the family didn't have much interest in that. But the account of my mother going and visiting this woman in the lockup facility, and just the fact that she could see glimmers of her still being there as an intellectual self, yeah. but basically she was locked up in this facility. She has children as well, who have relatively little to do with her. But yes, it was just such... This a, is why we have suicide. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I, I cherish... In fact, I expect... I hope, actually, that I have the opportunity to kill myself mm. rather than uh, not being at choice about that very important experience. Yes. I think certainly the takeaway that I talked about with my mother associated with this is she always was very um, forceful in her will. You know, she always demanded certain behaviors. And I think this is this is the difficulty. If, if one kind of wrote anything in one's life, it can be not to be so quite as obstinate in these kind of circumstances and just kind of whenever one feels a little bit like, you know, senility might be on the onset, rather than just fighting the people around you claiming that you're still perfectly capable, perhaps <laughs> just kind of moving into the shadows a little bit in these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Because, yes, it just chilled me the account of going and seeing this woman. The thought that, you know, this is still... Well, the problem is the system. Yes, no, this is exactly the point. Yeah, I mean, if she was at home being just as weird as hell and mm. and somebody came in and mm. checked on her once in a while, mm. as long as she's not threatening to other people, then why not? Yeah, know? no, she could get physically violent. This is interesting because yeah. I think a few, maybe a month or so ago, I mentioned this fellow who bought an island, the, um, the King of Mustique a documentary that I watched, he had similar tendencies. But again, because he was extremely wealthy, it was just seen as that he was being an eccentric. 
And I don't know what happened to him in his later life. I mean, obviously, his family was very protective of his particular behaviour. But I think in this woman's case, she just... And she's... The funny thing is that she's a respected academic. So I googled her and immediately found a wide variety of... Like, she's a linguist, actually. <laughs> so That's what happened. <laughs> she, she has all these references online that require her written approval before you can get access to them. So she has a whole series of recordings associated with her language recordings. Yeah. And, you know, these recordings now, I guess, are lost to time because you have to get written access from this... This person. I guess if they can seek the person out and get the signature on a piece of paper. The second interesting thing that has occurred in the past week is that I went to see a film with my spiritual advisor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't think we did. Were we through with senility? I thought we were. Do you want to talk any more on that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's okay. 68. Okay. <laughs> you know, that would, you would think it would be more of interest to me than to you. Especially know. since my memory has always been bad. Mm. You know, it is and, very interesting uh, because your memory is selectively bad. Probably, well, but what isn't? Give me a break. Well, right? it's not yeah. universally bad. No, I, no, no, you're right. There are a lot of stuff I remember uh, passages or, or sentences from books I read 30 years ago. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. But in any case, uh, that's something that I think about. I've noticed uh, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but several times when I'm sitting at the computer, because I, I, I'm, I'm not good at multitasking. I guess mm. that's what it is. And uh, and I'll quit one app or move off an app to do something else. And by the time the other window comes up, I have no idea why the hell I'm there. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's just, what now what the fuck was I going to do? But that happens you know? to the best of us, Aaron. It, it usually comes to back to me. Yeah. Yeah, but that does, that does happen occasionally. Oh, and every time it me. does happen, yeah. I think, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, is this is this the first sign? <laughs> the interesting thing is, I think we're too heavily engaged with our brains as gen in general as a society. These kind of the the nature of multitasking, the nature of doing you know multiple tasks at once, and just assuming that we are capable of doing this. Oh, I don't. Yes, I, I I don't I don't like multitasking. In fact, I don't. I do serial unitasking. I do a little bit of this, and then I move over, and then I do this. But I'm never doing actually, unless I'm playing the keyboard, like a Bach three-part mm -hmm. invention or something, I'm always only doing one thing at a time. Mm. But I may, And I don't like switching back and forth between. I like finding one thing and then doing that. Mm. I find myself, well, I mean, professionally I'm forced to multitask. So I kind of embrace it, but I do catch myself, as you describe, moving between windows and just thinking, what was I <laughs> Why doing? Why am I here now? <laughs> yeah. That's a little scary. It's interesting, actually, because it mainly happens after hours. Through my work environment, I'm so uh, meticulous. I'll, I'll yeah. either document yeah. or do things like that. So I always yeah. have sure. some indicator. Yeah, that's and, and that's work. That's a whole different... Mm. That, you're not the same person at work as you are now. Mm. Although I frequently have to work in times where I'm not in work, which is interesting, actually. I find myself considerably more work aware than, yeah. you know, I have to be because yeah. I'm constantly thrown into circumstances beyond my control, basically. Yeah. 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 So in terms of senility, have we? Yeah. Um, well, I've seen it. I've had some relatives. Mm. But I was, I mean, it's not, it doesn't fear, I'm not afraid of it because I'm afraid I'm going to get it, particularly because I was adopted, so mm. it doesn't have to do with it. But I had an aunt 
but she was always pretty fun, <laughs> you know. Yes. She was nutty as hell, but but again, she was pretty rich, and her husband took good care of her, mm-hmm. and uh, so it worked out pretty good for her. Yes, in the case of in the case of my mother's friend, the family friend, she only really came into our lives when she got divorced, and when she got divorced, basically, it was. She, I mean, her whole life from that point on was like continuous collapse. There was always some trauma, something going wrong, someone, you know, bilking her out of money, you know, all these kind of things were just constantly going on. And she was this constant drama in that light. In fact, my role when I knew her was to repair things, fix things. I put in bookshelves. It came down to, you know, bedpans and things like that. I mean, she seriously had like food and feces close together. Yeah. So, yeah. So she was, yeah, yeah. she was really incompetent. And this is the time that I knew her. Uh, It project forward 15 years. Clearly, you know. Yeah, the, see, that's the what I'm what, is, And what yeah. does she think about all this? She I mean, thinks. Does, that, can you talk? Can, can you talk well, so to her? So my mother talked to her, and my mother found it was very curious because she would say things like, you know, she couldn't get in contact with certain people, but she their phone numbers had never changed. She had their phone numbers written down, but she just didn't. She had lost the ability to connect ideas with points of contact, which I think my mother gave a, an account of when she went and to see her when my mother was in the Middle East. She was a diplomat um, in the UAE. And uh, just the account of her at every interaction, some point of conflict that she had created, which stopped her from reaching yeah. the goals and, you know, these kind of things. Yeah. So, uh, Isn't that just about everybody's life, though? <sighs> well, we just have to... I mean, uh, to a greater or lesser degree. Mm. You just want to minimize those points of conflict, I think. Yeah. It's some very well, real form. Yeah. Well, I guess I think I'm a little confused about what you're talking about. Well, the, okay, so she stepped off the plane. She had to interact with a money changer. She immediately felt that the money changer was ripping her off. So this was a something which caused her not to actually go through customs. So my mother was waiting on the other side of customs for about an hour and a half until customs agent actually came and got my mother and said, your mother, although she wasn't my mother's mother, uh, is arguing with a money changer. Can you please come and get her? And every interaction was like that. Whenever she uh, interacted with the general public, there was always, which was yeah. the same as when I lived with her and when I knew her. Yeah, yeah. I was constantly. Yeah, so what's the difference these, between an asshole and a crazy person? Well, very little. <laughs> a crazy person, I guess. I do, yeah, no, it's, a, it's very little. I mean. <laughs> What can you do? What do you do with people who are just assholes? I mean, maybe they're, what if they're not crazy? What if they're just an asshole? Though well, maybe being an asshole is a type of crazy. Well, it would seem it would seem to me that that's what it is. Yeah. That I mean, if you were operating sensibly, you wouldn't act like that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's but still that's hard to quantify and and I mean, it's like you either, you know, it's like it's one of those things where you need faith, I guess. You need to just see it. You you start you try to identify aspects of it and and rationalize it, and it falls apart pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, it's just me imposing my way of thinking on you. Yeah. I guess the nature of being locked in an environment that you know you cannot escape from, and you will be there for the rest of your life. It's like life imprisonment. Well, then you get used to that, man, and deal with it. Yes. But the problem is that you're at the point of your, your, your mental capabilities don't enable you to do that. Well, that's, that's the very issue itself. 
is can you get can you dump your old story and create a story that fits what's with what's going on well in a healthy mind yes but clearly these aren't healthy minds yeah some people yeah and that's the issue and and how do you know the difference between organic brain disease and just fucked up language machines well organic it's not always easy to tell well it is actually because what they use is the volume well if it's extreme it's no no not even extreme cases my wife's grandmother who was no way extreme her brain was sufficiently smaller that it was diagnosable. It's very easily diagnosable. Well, for some size. people, yes, for some people it is. All I'm saying is the, the dividing line between organic disturbances and linguistic disturbances is not clearly drawn. Yeah. You know, there, there's, a, there's some, it would be helpful if we could get clearer about, because a lot of stuff, I think, can be cleared up by straightening out their relationship with their language machine. But if, the, if there's organic, issues then that's that's a completely separate issue you know so following this theme i went to a film with my wife through the week actually last weekend called saving mr banks ah yes which is about an eccentric old lady interacting with walt disney and she's the author of mary poppins so disney wants to produce mary poppins but in order to produce mary poppins he has to work with this eccentric old lady who basically is an asshole and she's an asshole throughout the movie. I'm not giving anything away. There's yeah, no yeah. real softening to her. <laughs> the, the thing that struck me through that was that I was seeing, in large part, my maternal grandmother, who passed away in October last year, but also my mother. There's a strong characteristic of these, you know, overbearing matriarchs with their opinions, which are their opinions and cannot be in any way interacted with in terms of, you know, anything else. And it was quite striking to me emotionally because I realized towards the end that I was actually seeing both my mother and my grandmother in this woman. And particularly the kind of hopelessness towards the end of my (laughs) grandmother's life. She had a couple of really quite candid conversations with me, but also wrote very candid letters associated with the effect that surgery had had on my life or her appearance of the way it had had it on my life. Because she had had surgery for the first time when she was 89, maybe 90. Maybe 89. She had surgery for the first time with a general anaesthetic. Yeah. And she had never realized what that experience was like, particularly associated with facial reconstruction. She fell and broke her nose in the shower. And it was interesting, actually, through that period, because I would see softenings of lines, which had been really very strong up until that point, associated with what my role was because of you know yeah. who I was and these kind of things, was softened in that. And I saw the film very much in a light of it really speaking to me from my kind of grandmother's and mother's perspective. Now, my mother is still very alive and very of her own opinions. And very much, although she's, she is softened now, I think, with both with the interaction with her mother and also with this friend uh, in the lockup facility. She kind of gets a sense that, uh, you know, perhaps slightly normalizing some of these things will be a component. But yeah, it was an interesting experience to see something. Part of the film is supposed to be filmed in Australia as well, which is an interesting juxtaposition. It's clearly not Australia, um, for those of us who've lived in Australia. But yeah, it was a very strange film because my wife, through my spiritual advisor, through a good portion of the film, was sobbing because it's a relatively <laughs> emotional film. And towards the end of the film, particularly where I saw this woman, were very close up on her face, and she just reminded me so much of both my mother and my grandmother, visually, but also then strikingly associated with this just absolutely white-hot, you know, 
thing particularness associated with how things had to be done and said and language and all this kind of stuff that yeah really caught me towards the end of the film (laughs) one to see actually surprisingly good in a disney film striking in that well i tell you well now now that i have your recommendation when i as soon as i can pirate it (laughs) i will i'll put it on my list of films to steal yes Yes. You know, as I've been consolidating all my hard drives and stuff, you know, I've discovered I've got something like 800 movies, mm. <laughs> you know, that I haven't watched yet. Mm. I mean, every movie I ever thought that I ever might want to see, I've got, mm. except for the new ones that are coming out that I haven't seen yet. Mm. But, uh, you know, and I, 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 I rarely watch one a week. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I don't know when I'll ever get around to watching them. Mm. So I have a series of films that I remember because there was a, a foreign language station in Australia, or more importantly, a foreign movie station called SBS that was, I don't know, there's no real equivalent to SBS outside Australia, but it used to have some really quite strange foreign movies and the one that comes to mind is Stephen Wolf, um, movies like Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. I'm trying to think of m- semi-mainstream foreign films that would be covered on SBS, but those kind of films. Um, wide variety of strange Scandinavian movies. So early on, I watched a lot of really very strange foreign movies that have still had an impact on me. And I can't really find them. I mean, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down is on Netflix, but Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down is probably a bad example because it's not particularly bizarre yeah um but you know the old older kind of late 60s early 70s you know german psychedelia i mean just a wide variety of films that really made a strong impact on me yeah but now are you know completely lost to me i i I just feel the same way there's movie there have been movies that have changed my life yeah you know and and I still hope for that. You know, I still hope to see a movie that will touch me deeply on some level, you know, and show me something that I had never even imagined before. Yeah. But, um, you know, it just doesn't happen very often. And I guess that's why I don't watch very many. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is that, I mean, a number of the movies that have impacted me are no longer available. They never made the transition to DVD or to streaming. Well, I don't understand that. Why? Why wouldn't some? Isn't there somebody out there just rescuing everything? You'd hope that were the case. The one film that I've referenced called Last Summer, which actually was an Academy Award nominated film that didn't make it through the DVD process. There are uh, groups that maintain DVD catalogs, and I was able to get it on DVD. But within yeah. that genre, there's a whole lot of films. That yeah, are lost. everything needs to be. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, that's just one more thing that needs to be rescued. Mm. You know, it's still all out there. Somebody needs to uh, do something about it and rescue that stuff before it before it disappears. Yeah, I mean, certainly as I go through my books, I'm very mindful of the availability of the book. So if the book is immediately yeah. available now, I'm far easier to donate it than if it's actually difficult to get, in which case I'm more yeah. likely to keep it just through those, you know. it's yeah. It really is very strange that we're not actually actively documenting large sections of the past but you know particularly well we are in some sense you know what is it gutenberg's gutenberg was a good start (laughs) you know yeah yeah this is 
Well, we're, that's what happens when you have a planet full of language monkeys that are too <laughs> stupid to understand their heritage. Yes, or want to selectively prune their heritage. The final thing from my notes that I wanted to put out there is that I, of, of the calls aside from my discussion with Marty Fisher, I had a chat with uh, Marie Camacho and her boyfriend Justin a few days ago. And my thought was... It's never Justin and his girlfriend Marie. Well, Marie Marie represents Justin in almost all That's right. We've never heard from Justin. So it was actually quite interesting. Maybe Justin doesn't even exist. Oh, no, no, I've talked you know? to him now. No, it was actually oh. quite interesting. Oh, I think okay. Marie, Marie acts as his, um, I don't know. Spiritual advisor. Yeah, his spiritual advisor. <laughs> this is the term I should use. So it was really very curious because I started having a conversation with Marie, and then increasingly I realized that there was someone else who was listening in and wanted to participate. And by the end of the conversation, Justin and I were doing most of the talking, and Marie was kind of taking a further back stance. So it was really a very, really very organically nice. Oh, and that's I had a good. good. Time chatting with them both. Isn't that fun? Yes. I love that. A good conversation, especially with people you haven't done that with. Mm. It's a kind of new – it's like sex with somebody for the first time. Moving on from that. A hell. good conversation with somebody for the first time is a wonderful thing. Well, the interesting thing – so originally I thought partic- – and you know this because you've talked to Lorraine. I've never talked to Lorraine, so I don't get a sense of it. But I'm very mindful that there are some of us who can actively do what we do here. There are some of us that are better suited for things like model rail radio. And then there are folks – and some of these people actually participate in model rail radio as well – who aren't really, like, conversive people. It's not a problem. It's not an issue that they're not – you know, windbags like you are and I am. No, no, but, they're just what they are. Exactly. So yeah. I was very mindful through the initial discussion with uh, Marie and then with Justin that I was thinking, could this be a conversation that could be recorded? Could there be any dynamics? And then I just threw all of that aside. Yeah. But Marie said, and it, it came through in the initial conversation at least, that she was very nervous. So a lot of that kind of, you know, moved in a particular direction. But the thing that interested me was towards the end, my wife was cooking in the background, my spiritual advisor, and I realized I had to go. But they were also, this was on New Year's Eve, and they had a New Year's Eve party to get to. So I cut the conversation short a little bit. But just at the end, Marie asked me, associated with regional Australian food, and could I talk a little bit about some regional Australian food? And I thought it was very nice, actually. I mean, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with them in the future. What they asked me to do was put out videos, which I've started doing short YouTube clips between 5 and 15 minutes associated with various aspects of Noble Ape. And I'm going to continue that going forward because it takes me 15 to 20 minutes to record. And it also shows me a lot of stuff that I don't know. It shows me a lot of gaps in my knowledge. Oh, it's an awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking note. (laughs) (laughs) It is very interesting. And it's very um, selfless, basically. You... It's very difficult to come there with a kind of sense of professionality and then go through the code and realize, hold up, this well, is Well, it's just getting down to talking yes. about what needs to be talked about. Yeah. Get with your, getting yourself out of the way. <laughs> yes. Connorsites Bowen provided us with a map of North America. And he says, he started this discussion by saying, I've seen a lot of maps of potential American states where the U.S. is split up by cultural region, historical region, actual geographic region, etc. If such a split occurred, do you think America would live in harmony with itself? That is, if it weren't all one country, would there be many warring countries? So he puts this question to you initially. Yeah, well, I have spent some time thinking about this stuff, and... And I and I wrote a response to that, just a, a quick one, is that my sense is the natural political units of any 
place on the planet depend upon uh, the major river systems. And that uh, Southern California is part of the people of the Colorado River. And if there was to be a breakup of, well, even forgetting the United States, I mean, that, that is a natural region which, which uh, depends upon the water in that river to survive. And so they all have a, a common interest in preserving that. I don't think there's if if it's if whether there's any warring going on really just depends on whether you got a bunch of language monkeys or you got a bunch of earthlings living. So there. let's look at the let's look at the new country of the Colorado Delta. That is a very interesting area. Have you have you traveled up the Colorado in your travels? The river that is. Well, I mean, I've been in Arizona and I've been to Lake Mead and mm-hmm. I've been you know around a few places like that. But if you take it up the Colorado River, have you actually gotten to the as close to the source as you can. No. Well, that in itself is a fascinating journey, and I have done that by train. And what you get through that is that uh, in terms of geography, it goes through every possible geography you could imagine. Yeah, from the desert to the alpine. It's, to ab- it's, yes, exactly. Above the alpine. And the thing <laughs> that struck me, actually, is that when I was travelling along the Rhine River... In a relatively similar time frame. Now, I went to the Rhine first, and then I went through the Colorado. It is, it's, there are sections of that which are almost identical to the Rhine in Germany as well, which is very, very strange. My view, so the map that was proposed, Connor Sitesbaum posted a map which showed, you know, things like the left coast and the Yankees and all this kind of stuff. And I actually found my sense of the US having traveled over it by train, or large parts of it, is that the, it would all, I prefer your idea of city-states. Yeah. And I think that might be closer to what would happen in this country, given, you know, organic movements, because... But the city-states still need water. Well, this is an interesting phenomenon. So, there are now technologies that are very good at recycling water. And oh, I think were, in the oh, future, yeah. you they would probably need, need much, considerably yeah. less water than we need currently. We are you really know, I never wasteful. actually thought of that. That's yes. a really good idea. You're right, because we waste, we just waste we, all yes. of our water. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you're right. We do. That's that's ridiculous. So in, in a, well, but so how much could we reduce it, do you think? Well, so much of the water is lost through evaporation anyway, which is in some way recycling of the water, but in yeah. some way is... You know, just squandering well, yeah. a precious resource. It's just resource. what it is, that's all. It's yes. just what it is. But <laughs> if, if I consider, the thing that struck me, well, a couple of things struck me. The first thing was that the map of the East Coast does not in any way represent the complete fracturing that I found traveling up the East Coast. The nature of Boston and even the, even the towns outside of Boston, I mean, Boston would be like Rome because of the way in which it's structured and the way in which it's both financially and linguistically structured it is a distinctly different region the people think differently in boston city than they yeah, do even the outlying sure. towns and i can't imagine <laughs> the the outlying towns wouldn't want to be part of boston boston wouldn't want to be part of the outlying towns. yeah right yeah, and you could do this kind realities. of division i mean yeah. if you look at you know the five boroughs of new york that would be very interesting well but in that's because itself. again you got a bunch of fucking language monkeys well, no, listen. I, I I mean I agree. You're right, and it's, it's a serious problem. Yeah. But that that's not an issue if people have, don't you know aren't stuck in their story. 
So the interesting thing is, would the city states evolve before the ling- before the linguistic they go together? They all, kind, you it all they, well, you'd hope I, they I, go I together, think, but I don't. Well, think no, they it's would. like the butterfly. You know, the butterfly doesn't come together first, the wings, and then the leg. You know, it's a systemic transformation. Yeah, but it's the, all going on, and some things happen on whatever their time scale is, which is earlier than other things. Mm-hmm. But it. We don't know. I mean, there's just yes. no way to answer well, a question well, like that. Okay, so there are three. There are, I will posit there are three possibilities. They happen at the same time. At least three. At least three. <laughs> but three distinguishable. They happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. The city states occur. Or they overlap. First. Well, they overlap. The okay. city states occur distinctly first, and then yeah. the linguistic transformation occurs oh, distinctly yeah. first. That's a good... Yeah, I now, if the linguistic transformation yeah. occurs distinctly first, then it's likely that city-states will not be stupid enough to form city-states in this circumstance, but probably, as you say, move more towards geographic limitation. Well, but, but no, I don't see that there's either or. I, the city-states exist within, within the people of the Colorado. There may be two or three city-states within yeah. the Colorado uh, region. So but what the, stops the people in the upper Colorado region from denying the people in the lower Colorado region water? Why would they do that? Well, what benefit do they get from the people in the lower Colorado region? Who cares? Do they have enough for what they need? Well, that again presupposes that... Well, it's interesting, actually. The, that's the whole point. Is that, Say there are three city-states on the Colorado mm-hmm. River. Mm-hmm. They will have to negotiate that. Those city-states... We'll negotiate that. And again, I think there is a global, uh, again, whether these city-states are federated into a global association of city-states. Mm. And those things are all tricky questions. So, but, but yeah, I, th- I, I don't think it's a problem if you've got a planet full of, again, getting there is a big problem. I don't quarrel with that. But assuming a population of enlightened human beings, I just don't see any of these being any issue. There's no reason. Well, as long as the people in the north part of the river get everything they need and want, then what the hell happens after that is really none of their damn business. So the second thing that concerned me associated with the regional map was it didn't in any way take into account, firstly, mass migration, which has already occurred over large portions of the U.S., but secondly, that this migration continues on. Now, it's true there are certain regions in the U.S. where you don't see this mass migration, but even in Michigan, I was quite surprised to see a large quantity of folk from Southeast Asia, a large quantity of folk from, you know... (laughs) <laughs> the word was amazing, that's right. actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's people from all over the world continuing yeah. to come here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a large Iraqi population in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Of all places. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very striking to me that the, <laughs> the migration actually probably does more to not necessarily derail the notion of the city This state, is why we need to, to give them all good English lessons. <laughs> Yes, we'll take your food and we'll give you our language. That's right. <laughs> so, yes, I think, um, so Connor Seitzberg continues um, to ask me if the same was true in Australia. And I think the thing with Australia is it already kind of exists like these city-states. I mean, there's no, <laughs> yeah. you can travel for days in some directions in Australia without even getting to another town. I mean, with gas stations, I may have told this on Stonehead, I may not have, but when my wife and I, traveled with my mother through Australia, there were towns that we were getting to that didn't have gas stations anymore. We were very lucky that we finally got to a town with a gas station because if we hadn't um, 
you know, if, if that town hadn't been there, I would have been you doing would, a lot you'd of walking. still be there. <laughs> well, I'd be doing a lot of walking. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, it, Australia, it's a very different phenomenon due to space. But also, Australia has mass migration, similar to, you know, what I've described yeah. in the U.S. Mass so, immig- you're talking yeah. about immigration, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So um, and is that a problem there? Do they? Do they? Are, is there a faction, a political faction, uh, well, resisting I say, that? I hate to say yes. yes, but unfortunately, yes. I mean, I think yeah. the certainly I've always affiliated more heavily with migrants. I mean, tr- the notion, for example, I mean, as as is here, but even slightly more pronounced in Australia, there are like six, seven generation Chinese, like ethnic Chinese, that have been in Australia. They're more Australian than most of the Australians are in terms of their yeah. time in Australia. Yeah. So you end up with this really kind of curious thing where, yeah, this, I mean, you know, this whole notion of racism and ethnic divides and all this kind of stuff really is very, very strange when it's actually analysed in any meaningful <laughs> uh, yeah. sense. So, yeah. Yes. So, Connor, I think we've touched on those points. I mean, I think we're both, through the discussions, yeah. sympathetic to these kind of brainstormings, but unfortunately they don't, you know, they don't really apply to even modern you know, modern circumstances, and I doubt whether they will apply in the future. Well, those particular ways. maps, I yeah. thought, were... Well, I didn't even really look at them very carefully yeah. because I could see immediately... As far as I'm concerned, the... the I mean, the physical terrain is important. The North American continent is clearly something. Yes. You know? So, so and then the major river systems on the North American continent pretty much decide where people are going to be. Mm. And uh, so where they choose to build their city-states is going to be on one of those major re- uh, river systems. And um, so whatever political system, yeah, North America becomes a, a subunit of Earth. Yeah, probably each continent. Of course, we've got Australia for mm-hmm. all the assholes that don't fit in. Mm. And I'm the representative of those assholes here <laughs> right before you. That's right. Absolutely. And doing a wonderful job. Thank you, Harry. Thank you. Well, with that compliment, I get into a rather Tom-heavy section of questions. So feel free to interrupt at your leisure. Bob Mottram asks, in Field of Well, Chaos, why are we going to – let me start interrupting right away. No, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we never really – the problem is that Lorraine was going to be the the discourse agent associated with some of these things, but apparently they've yeah, percolated. Yeah, you mean because of all the feminist stuff or, or something? You well, were have... in part, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. – um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to – Yeah, Lorraine, what Lorraine. the hell? Oh, no, you say she's got some stuff going on. Yeah, so she's got some stuff going on. on so, okay. yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Anyway, so Bob Mottram asks, in Field of Chaos, when the character Tom went into a fever after a starvation diet of weevils, was he dreaming of fractal landscapes with apes <laughs> roaming across them? So I want to start by saying that the character Tom is now been expunged from the new version of Field of Chaos because it's just too confusing. It also helps the poor artist who's having to draw this thing, draw another character who represents in cohesion the two characters uh, across Field of Chaos. The short answer is no. If I may speak of myself, when I was in the northern New South Wales starving and eating weevils, um, th- it's funny actually because when I have fevers, I have a wide variety of different... We've not, have we talked about fevers at all, Heron? Oh, who knows? <laughs> Don't ask <laughs> me discuss- questions like that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't recall a serious. But for me, I've, I've. There's a, there's a tag in Field of Chaos which is for the sober. Delirium is the only respite. 
<laughs> and for me, that has certainly been my feeling. Wait, wait, say that again. For the sober, i.e. for okay. those that don't consume okay. or what have you, yeah. delirium is the only respite. Okay. Now, if we only knew what the hell that meant, it sounds well, profound it. as hell. <laughs> I, can, I can explain it. Okay. If you, if you maintain sobriety through your life, when you have a delirious fever, it's the only time that you can do some really quite interesting cognitive exploration, which has been my view pretty consistently. Last year, when I was working with the comic book artist, she, I put to her that this period of delirium and field of chaos could be represented by her in any way she chose. And what she said was that she thought, as this character was either sexually naive or a sexual deviant, that this is the way that she would explore the delirium. Which was so far from the fact for me that I just thought, um, no, we'll, we'll move beyond that. You don't need to illustrate the delirium. The, the account of Field of Curse is actually pretty good associated with the delirium. It was about people returning and having conversations. And it was very much about people. But the quality of my delirium is actually quite... I mean, sometimes I'll have delirium associated with insects, like large insects that interact with me and I talk with them and all these kind of things. I mean, I really find delirium is a very interesting like cognitive space that can be exploited in a wide variety of ways. Yeah, most of us just use drugs, but you don't need that. <laughs> Moving on. The, uh, so Mots has asked a series of questions, but a large number of these again relate to questions specifically to me. He asks, do you think one could use Noble Ape or similar technology to model crowd control situations? And the short answer is yes. I gave a talk at... I know that. <laughs> Even Heron running for wine knows that. Okay. I gave a talk at Sanford Research in 2009-2010. The audio of this is available online. And one of the researchers there asked me, and I think this is captured in the audio associated with why I wasn't doing Noble Ape professionally, why I wasn't getting paid. And he put in a, well, actually, I wrote for him a funding grant proposal associated with using Noble Ape to simulate, um, to simulate crowd, well, not crowd control situations, but whether you could put particular radicals in particular crowds to assist with, um, well, circumstances like natural disasters and things like that. So the short answer for that is yes. And yes, I have developed Noble Ape around that. Mutz continues, do you think people could learn from such simulations how dynamics of actual crowd control situations work? And the answer is yes. Again, this is basically what they wanted to use Noble Ape for. But you don't need something like Noble Ape to do this. You can do this with relatively simple agent modeling simulations. Uh, Mutz continues, uh, you, here meaning me, have talked about a survival intelligence metric in an essay. Am I correct in thinking that something like that factors into this topic? Yes, again. I think, basically, Mots, you're just following down a familiar theme associated with my body of work. Uh, another question from Mots. You probably already uh, beat that topic to oblivion before, but he wants us to talk about... Heron, are you back? <laughs> Hello, Heron. Yes. Mots wanted us to talk about this survey, which I think of us was only of a thousand people over the world associated with uh, what threatened world peace? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. I saw that, yeah. Which, I mean, it's kind of duh moment. It doesn't really strike me as anything too profound. And it's also something, no, I guess, we've pretty obvious. <laughs> talked about that. I'm surprised bit. there's that many aware people. <laughs> well, yeah, it's... It really is a very strange thing, the way the... Yeah, I, mean, I had this conversation with my spiritual advisor around the time of 9-11. Because she said to me, how can this happen? How could the US have been attacked? And I just gave the account associated with, you know, the sanctions on Iraq, 
associated with, uh, you know, backing Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's so many components to this thing. But yeah, the general population in this country still remains relatively... Well, I mean, they they get... Unconscious language monkeys. They're sold such really profoundly strange stories. Which they just, as you say, file they away, just, believe, they, and they continue accept. doing. Yes. And it's, but it's, the thing is, it starts in the cradle. It's not like they were argued into it rationally somehow and convinced that that's true. This is their, it's way below that level. <laughs> you know, it's built into the fabric of their brain now. That's why I say they're brain damaged. Yeah. They've had this story. They think their story is the way the world really, really is. But Heron, they hate our freedom. <laughs> well, that may be. That, that's probably also some part of the truth somewhere, I guess. Oh, you see, you buy into some of the stories. This is interesting. That was a. Well, I don't buy into any of them. They're just all stories. There's some prop. There's probably from somebody's point of view, every story makes sense. Yes. You know. Yeah, what can you argue? There's no point in arguing, but the par- problem is, these people believe their story is the truth, not just their fucking story. Yes. It's so simple. Jesus. It's mm. just your fucking story. Okay, go on. I've, I've got it out. So, <laughs> I think I think Mox is just intentionally riling us with known topics here. I think I have I have some concern that the folks that are very active on the Stone Ape Facebook group represent one percent of the total listenership. The other ninety nine percent of the listenership really are uncharted in this regard. But one of these ninety nine percent that has jumped in here recently is is James Slaughter. Good, welcome, James. Well, you've welcomed James at least once previously. Well, James- welcome again, James. <laughs> James James did the very curious move of actually drawing a caricature of me and putting it on the Stone Ape Facebook page today. You know, I must have missed that. Yes. Yes. Well, my hold view on. is <laughs> Oh, believe me, the image has been removed. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> From that. Yes. You took it off? My view is although the breasts were subtle. <laughs> If you want to caricature the the folks that are putting in the time to actually edit and put out these kind of podcasts, just put bikinis on them, okay? Moving on okay. from that. Well, anyway, so you rem- there's no, no point in me going and looking yes. at this point. Okay, never mind. Mots had a good laugh at it, but after Mots uh, gave it the thumbs up, I thought, hmm, maybe another time. It, I understand it was I understand it was done with love, James. But um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Every once in a while, I take stuff off of my Facebook page. Mm, Yes. I don't do it very often. And it's usually sort of trivial, but it's just, you know, something just says, nah, I don't want this here. Anyway, James asks, familiarity breeds contempt. How do we overcome our innate desires to be right, more knowledgeable, esteemed, etc., in order to enable relationships to be not only more fruitful, but enduring? Or is competition so ingrained, judgment so forthcoming, that relationships are destined to end in a winner and a loser? Uh, read that again. Familiarity breeds contempt. Well, let's take them one thing at a time. Bullshit. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> How do we overcome our innate desire to be right, more knowledgeable, esteemed, etc., in order to enable relationships not only to be more fruitful, but enduring? Well, wait a minute. This is still one sentence? Yes. Well, actually, there's a question mark there. Okay. And then it goes on. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> or is competition so ingrained, judgment so forthcoming, that relationships are destined to end in a winner and a loser? I don't believe in human nature. I believe... I believe. <laughs> well... I believe! Something like that. I believe! Preach, brother Heron, preach! Uh, <laughs> that, um, that we are what, what we are taught to be. We, we adapt to the environment we find ourselves in as infants. And uh, I don't know what the limits of that are, but human nature is bullshit. So, so my sense is um, the future is free for us to create. Amen. That's my story. <laughs> yeah. We spent an inordinately long time last recording arguing about art. And I listened back to that and just completely cringed that in one regard, it was almost like I had fallen into the, the Heronstone den of linguistics. <laughs> I was just being poked on all angles. <laughs> like, oh, whoops, I slipped and fell on Oh, no, help. <laughs> help. <laughs> but um, I realized through that Is that so bad? No, not at all. It was quite humorous <laughs> after the fact, because I could see myself looking sheepishly from corner to corner with nowhere to go, you know, trying desperately to work my way out. Funnily enough, I faked an end of the recording and then moved on to another topic very quickly. Yeah, good. And it's even better that you were able, well, of course, listening to do it again, yeah. uh, it changes everything, doesn't it? Certainly. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yes. So, James Slaughter... My homework for you is a caricature <laughs> of Heron with breasts, Stone Ape Facebook group, moving on. So I'm out of topics, Heron. Do you have anything that you wanted to throw out there? Mm, I, I guess not. Nothing's uh, nothing's coming. Let me think. What do I want to talk about? What's my big rant? Yeah, the voice in your head is not something that you are doing. It's something happening to you. <laughs> That's, that's, and it's not like there's a logical way into that. It's just, if you stop for a second, you'll see that it just comes out of nowhere. You have no idea where that voice comes from. It just shows up. And then you think you said it. <laughs> I think that's the whole game. So within the next year, your challenge is for people that have already grasped that. Where does the where does the description the analysis go from there? Yeah, what do we do? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. That's what this year is about. Is is actually I think refining that statement because I really think that's all that needs to be said. I mean, it really is like three maybe four sentences that that to just state it boldly, and then a certain percentage of people will be floored by that. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just 1%. You know, I don't know. But then it's really about refining, basically refining that statement, saying it as clearly and simply and objectively as possible, and then saying it over and over again and continuing to refine it and check our percentages and <laughs> see how it's going to create a, an enlightenment machine. <laughs> hmm. Well, Heron. I think that uh, that wraps up the season. That ought to wrap it up. Yeah, that's Definitely. enough. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's something I should say. I am going to retreat with my spiritual advisor next Friday. So I don't even want to presume that I will have uh, internet access through that. 
So okay, we, so next Friday night for sure not. For sure not. So we yeah. could record potentially on the Sunday when I get back. Listen, whatever could, it is, yeah, is we'll okay with me. Yeah, no we'll problem. Yeah. See, this is the way sensible people could work out political problems on a global scale. Heaven forbid. You know, imagine that. Just talk and think, okay, yeah, you, you need this. I mean, okay, but no where, do, where does the sale of bombs and airplanes come into this whole equation, Harry? You're missing oh, the importance of uh, <laughs> the important stuff. Of yeah, killing people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll, I'll think about that. Very good. I'll talk to you soon, Harry. Take care. Okay. Good See night. Ya.